Looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, we're on that frequency, 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa, our service into the continent. We're on a, also on DSTV, our DSTV channels, the audio bouquet, 802. That's 802 on the audio bouquet. You can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're discussing Donald Trump is never, never a quiet moment with this man. There's consistent tweeting, there's consistent um, uh, meeting in the White House and press conferences there. Uh, it's just he's uh, been one of those uh, ongoing voices in the presidency. His presidency has no silent moment. And the latest is that the, his Secretary of State, uh, Rex Tillerson, said the United States was looking at ways to pressure North Korea even more over its nuclear program as North Korean state media warned the Americans of a super mighty preemptive strike. That's what they called it, a super mighty preemptive strike. And they said they shouldn't mess with them. That's North Korea uh, telling the United States. Well, the U.S. President Donald Trump has taken a hotline with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, who has uh, rebuffed admonitions from Seoul major ally China and proceeded with nuclear and missile programs in defiance of the United Nations Security Council sanctions. And also just recently, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, Donald Trump recently tweeted that he has exposed the total failure of uh, Obama's foreign policy. Well, since the beginning of Donald Trump's administration, he's really taking a strong stance on the foreign policy of his administration, which focuses on security, fighting terrorism, strengthening border defenses. And we know that he's been criticized on immigration controls and expanding the U.S. military might. Well, just to look at uh, Donald Trump and his foreign policy, we joined on the line by Professor John H. Stanfield II, who is a distinguished research fellow in democracy, governance, and service delivery program of the Human Sciences Research Council. I also have the privilege today to speak to Stembi Lembeto, who is a lecturer at South Africa's uh, University of Pretoria. She's at the Department of Political Sciences there. She also lectures in international relations and South African politics. I want to start the conversation with you, Professor Stanfield, in terms of just the simple question, in terms of a clear direction in President Donald Trump's foreign policy within the 90 days of his presidency. Is there a clear direction there? Well, uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure meeting both of you, by the way. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I think that, you know, certainly uh, we like these magical numbers, uh, 90 days, 100 days um, in the beginning of a uh, mm-hmm. U.S. presidency, and 
Uh, certainly, I think that we have to admit that uh, the governance is much more complex than that. Mm. Uh, it takes a longer time, but with that said, I mean, certainly we do see some movements going on in um, the um, Trump presidency already, which indicates, among other things, that he's beginning in some respects to moderate, but moderate only in the sense of the conservative right-wing camp of the, of the U.S. Congress. Um, and so um, that we can see uh, a clear indication of um, the fact that Steve Bannon is, not, is now uh, being demoted of sort. Um, we're seeing um, Trump beginning to align himself with the views of Senator John McCain and other conservative uh, Republicans in the Senate. Mm. Um, and so that's what we're beginning to see now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what direction does that show us, uh, Professor Stanfield? Uh, what does it actually say about what we could see moving forward within this presidency? Well, what, what we can see is a, a more hard line um, against Syria. Um, you know, the bombing of Syria was certainly... Uh, something that the conservative senators, especially um, McCain, wanted um, Trump to do. Although um, it is going to cause divisiveness within his own constituency uh, for that reason. Um, the, um, the bombing of the ISIS um, camp in Afghanistan uh, was also to throw a bone out to uh, the conservatives in Congress and also to his constituency um, because of a lot of fear, of course, about ISIS and its states. And um, Americans, we tend to be uh, very disinterested in foreign affairs unless there are casualties. Uh, what we like is to see a president uh, play John Wayne, and that is what Trump is doing right now. All right, let me bring that to you, Stembi Limbet, in terms of some of those views brought there by Professor Stanfield, definitely being uh, spot on on the issue that uh, uh, Donald Trump has taken more of a hardline approach when it comes to foreign policy. Um, thanks very much. I think that, um, you know, I like the way that the professor put it uh, towards the end of his comment there, that, you know, Americans are generally quite isolationist and reluctant for the U.S. to get involved in international policy ordinarily. They do like the idea of having a cowboy president, a John Wayne president, that (laughs) that deals with potential threats um, in a hard-line way. And Mm -hmm. so I think that what we've seen of Donald Trump the president, as opposed to Donald Trump the presidential candidate, is that whereas when he was campaigning for president seemed to take quite an isolationist stance, on foreign policy, you know, really speaking as the, you know, saying things like put America first, that the U.S. must not be as involved and as concerned with all of these um, international problems the, and international institutions, so speaking quite harshly about NATO and about the U.N. What we've seen in uh, in the presidency in the last 90 days is a bit of a softening of that that uh, Donald Trump has proven himself to be far less isolationist um, than he seemed as though he was going to be. Um, And we saw that with his intervention, with his 
uh, attack in Syria and then the one that came um, in, in Afghanistan as well. We've also seen that he mm. is far more open to cooperation with other international leaders than his rhetoric made it out to be. So mm. after the visit of the Chinese president uh, two weeks ago, um, he really... It seems as though they got on very well personally, mm. and he had taken a much softer stance on China, whereas before he kept saying that, you know, we're going to declare China currency manipulator, uh, and we're going to force them uh, mm. to, to, to revalue their sure, currency. Sure. Um, you know, when we saw after he'd had the visit is a much softer stance and mm. really seeing China as an ally mm. in the fight against North Korea. We also saw in the last couple of days that he met with the head of NATO um, and, you know, before having spoken about NATO being the strain on the U.S.'s resources uh, and he had a lot of that kind of rhetoric after the visit of the German chancellor uh, to the White House. Uh, after he'd met with the head of NATO, he was suddenly speaking in very collegial terms uh, about NATO and about the role of NATO um, in U.S. foreign policy and in maintaining um, U.S. security. So I think what we're really seeing is a softening of his stance he is being socialized into the role of president mm. um, with in you know from his colleagues um, in in the Senate but also realizing that there are real constraints to what you can do as the US president even though you have so much power mm. um, and so I think that we're going to see a lot more of his position soften into um, a position that's all that different from his predecessors in the presidency, both Obama and Bush and Clinton. Mm. That there are some consistencies in U.S. foreign policy always, even if there may be differences in emphasis um, from president to president depending on their ideological stance. Mm. And I think we're beginning to see that with Donald Trump as well. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to come back to both of you just to see that kind of changing of alliances as well. It seems like... Uh, Donald Trump is taking a very sneaky approach in terms of how he goes about making alliances, especially when it came to the issue of Syria. He became very close to Russia. And now with the issue of North Korea, he's changed alliances as well, moving to the uh, Chinese for assistance there. That inconsistency and those contradictions, what do they do in terms of relationships with the United States? Can the United States uh, gain trust uh, from uh, its uh, neighboring states? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Give us your thoughts are via our SMS line on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You can also email us on info at channelafrica.org. I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with our guests. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
Yes, this is Channel Africa, the African perspective. Remember, our main services to our friends on the continent. We're on shortwave there on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And also we're on DSTV. If you're listening to us on South Africa, that's our main service into South Africa, DSTV audio bouquet channel, uh, channel 802. You can also stream us live outside of the continent on www.channel africa.co.za we've got professor john stanfield the second he's a distinguished research fellow in democracy governance and service delivery program in the human sciences research council and also we've got stembi limbeta who's a lecturer at the department of political sciences at the university of pretoria right in south africa she also lectures in international relations and south african politics let me go to you professor stanfield in terms of some of the issues that were brought in there by uh, Stembi Lembert in terms of the alliances that Donald Trump has uh, chosen to uh, pick very specifically on certain issues, not necessarily uh, one long-going kind of alliance. We've seen him kind of betray, uh, in inverted commas, the Russians and now befriend the uh, Chinese when it comes to the North Korean uh, issue. What are your thoughts around that? Well, uh, first of all, let me say that I, I really enjoyed my colleague's um, observations. I think that she's right on spot uh, with everything she said. But I think that we need to put it in a, in a context of presidential leadership styles. Okay. Because uh, there was a famous book that was published about 45 years ago uh, that's probably the best book on presidential character. In fact, it's called Presidential Character by James Barber. And he clearly says that you can predict the the style of a, of a president um, based upon um, the person's um, childhood, adolescent um, development. And uh, the thing is, is that he was right on target. He, the book was published just before the downfall of President Nixon, and he was right on target about why. Um, we don't know that much about Donald Trump. You know, he's, he definitely is a new kind of presidential personality. Mm. But we do know two things about him, which certainly is driving what he's doing internationally the same way that is driving him domestically. Mm. Um, number one, he's a, he, he's a salesman. Mm. He's, he's a salesman. Mm. And number two, he likes being liked. Mm. And so um, you see these two uh, personality factors um, guiding um, what happened in the campaign where he would he would say one thing to one audience, another thing to another one, mm. um, in the process of getting to know these audiences. And we see the same thing beginning to happen in terms of his uh, relationship with, um, with with head of state leaders and so forth and so on. That uh, before he meets these individuals, he tends to be very high line, but when he does and engages them, um, then he begins to soften up. Um, of course. Uh, that is not necessarily the best way to do foreign policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the thing about it is that another thing that is happening is that uh, my colleague is absolutely right about the constraints on the U.S. presidency. Mm-hmm. And one of those constraints is not only the Congress, but also your informal advisors. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you begin to see Trump moving the way he has begun to move, 
it has a lot to do with the fact that he's beginning to develop a much more sophisticated um, inner circle. Um, McMaster, who John McMaster, who is now director of National Security Council, right. in contrast to Michael Flynn, um, who was very anti-Muslim mm -hmm. and so on. You see General Mengtis, who is uh, Secretary of Defense, who um, is renowned for being quite a diplomat, um, mm -hmm. as well as a military person. Um, you see uh, his son-in-law uh, beginning to become much more involved in the Middle East, um, and it's taking away a great deal of the steam of the ultra-right wing mm. in his inner circle. Um, we see Tillerson, mm. who is a very interesting, very interesting person. Um, you know, he's not your typical um, global um, corporate uh, CEO. I mean, he's a very sophisticated intercultural person, mm -hmm. and you're beginning to see him beginning to come into the more public limelight, although he's always been there. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, we see this happening. We see Nikki Haley, a U.N. ambassador, who is very independent and mm -hmm. who's becoming a very good balance um, in the uh, Trump administration. Mm. So, in terms of that, it, it retains that question of what do the external forces do? How do they re relate to this makeshift of a person, Stembile? Look, I think that we, um, in terms of external forces, I think that what we need to appreciate um, in terms of Donald Trump's foreign policy as it evolves, and, and like the president has said, as he has um, more established and, and more moderate voices influencing him, is that it's going to influence different parts of the world differently. So uh, what we've seen is a real tempering in, in, in Donald Trump's rhetoric on, on China. As I've said, we're seeing um, a bit more of a willingness to be involved in traditional um, U.S. Europe. U.S.-Europe alliances and that kind of transatlantic um, relationship. I'm not entirely sure, though, that we are seeing um, enough of a softening in relation to Trump's immediate neighbors. Uh, Mexico comes to mind um, in terms of the threats of the wall and immigration. Um, mm -hmm. And so that is a something that's still going to need to evolve, um, and we'll see how that evolves over time. It's something that has been really overshadowed by events in the Middle East um, and, 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 and in Asia. And then, of course, in the case of Africa, uh, we really have not gotten much clarity mm. in the last 90 days of what Donald Trump's approach towards the continent really is going to be. Uh, we know that he has called several heads of state um, on the continent um, since he since he took over the presidency, but it's really still not clear um, what is going to happen to major projects and major initiatives that affect the African continent. For example, uh, like HEPFAR, uh, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, mm. that has really been central to uh, to the health programs um, on the continent, particularly in relation to to HIV AIDS um, and and tuberculosis. So I think that. You know, it's still a bit too early to tell how the rest of the world should then anticipate 
the Trump presidency playing out um, over the next uh, few years. Mm. We'll unpack that relationship with Africa and the United States. But you saying that, um, Stembile, brings me the question in terms of, uh, you know, that at the beginning of his presidency, there was kind of a lot of rhetoric and conversations in the media around uh, Donald Trump and uh, Vladimir Putin and the relationship between the two. And I know that there were also co- conversations around how there were elections were kind of coerced with with the uh, Russia. Uh, Professor Stanfield, where does that relationship stand now? Okay. Um Okay, we don't mind. Sure, I'm going to respond to that one, but also there are a couple of very important points that my colleague made that sure. I, I wanted to emphasize. Um, go, go, go ahead. I don't think, I don't think that the Putin-Trump relationship has been hurt that much mm-hmm. um, in the bombing of Syria. If it had been, Putin certainly would have responded much more aggressively. He would have mm-hmm. withdrawn the Russian ambassador, called that guy. Uh, back home again, he would have moved warships around. You don't see him doing this. Mm-hmm. And I think that even though Putin was um, angry and he refused to see Tillerson, he, he was visiting Russia, I think that um, basically um, um, uh, the National Security Council and Trump himself made it very clear to Putin beforehand what they're going to do. Um, but I think that uh, we're going to continue to see uh, Trump uh, pushing for um, much, much uh, closer relations with Russia for a, a lot of complicated mm-hmm. reasons, uh, some of which we know, some of which we, we don't know yet. Now, about uh, the issue regarding the wall, mm-hmm. um, uh, we need to keep in mind that wall issue was very much of a domestic issue to roll up his constituency mm-hmm. uh, during the campaign trail. Since that time, it's become much more convoluted. Um, because it's more, it's, it, you know, it's more than it's more than apparent. Uh, Mexico is not going to be paying for a wall, and so now uh, Trump is saying, "Well, okay, uh, we're going to build a wall ourselves with American mm-hmm. tax dollars, and and then have Mexico reimburse us." Well, people are laughing to the bank about that. I mean, it's not it's not going to happen, um, but it still is a great uh, a great blow to throw out mm-hmm. this constituency. And what we're going to see, I think. Is, is going to linger there. It's going to be there uh, for the next four years, mm-hmm. resolved. Um, and and uh, because keep in mind that this is also um, a president who made it clear he wants to run in 2020. Okay, mm-hmm. so he's not going to do anything uh, um, crazy or controversial like trying to build a wall to American tax dollars. The mm-hmm. uh, the whole issue of Africa is interesting. Sure, because. The thing about it is that there has been some inkling about what the Trump approach is going to be. Mm. Um, it's not going to be benign like Obama's approach or about the Bush approach. It's going to be an approach that you've got to prove it. You have to prove yourself to us before we give you more aid. It's going to be that kind of approach okay. of uh, basically making it clear the heads of state on the continent, I couldn't have to be more accountable. Mm. Um, you know, there's always been already raised been raised some questions uh, during the transitional time of the Trump government, uh, raising questions about, well, why haven't you resolved this? Why haven't you resolved terrorism problems and mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, Kenya and and Nigeria? Mm-hmm. Uh, why this and why that? You know, we give uh, millions and billions of dollars um, to mm-hmm. HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. Issues in HIV AIDS is still prevalent. It's 
increasing. Mm. Uh, and so uh, African heads of states and African continent-wide organizations are going to have to become much more organized, and they're going to have to realize they're going to have to become much more uh, accountable uh, with this administration, and they can get more out of it uh, because Tillerson um, uh, needs to be sold on African affairs, and he can be. Hmm. But it's just a matter of realizing that there's no longer going to be any baking just coming out of the pot. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's the voice of Professor John uh, Stanfield there. And I want to take that to you, Timbilimbet, in terms of what Professor there is highlighting when it comes to Africa, because I think that's an interesting point in terms of the critical views that have come out from Donald Trump regarding Africa. Indeed, and I think that, I think, look, I think that the first thing that we need to remember, though, is that there's a lot in American um a domestic discourse that is overstated about how much the U.S. gives in terms of foreign aid. The U.S. is the U.S.'s foreign aid is really um, closer to like a percentage of their GDP than what people normally think that it is, like 20 or 25 percent. Um, and so I think, and 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 Africa gets actually a very small chunk of of that amount of aid anyway. Mm. Um, so I think that what the opportunity is then for African um, governments to do, especially given that Trump is a businessman and understands and really I think is trying to take a a business like approach. Um, in, 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 in governance, whether you think that that's right or wrong. Mm. Um, but I think that there is a far greater opportunity for African governments to lobby and to really approach him um, as you would do uh, an, an administration as a business lobby um, and to lobby around the issues that are really important to the continent in terms of trade, um, in terms of, of, of other economic development issues instead of trying to appeal to him as a kind of liberal Democrat who is willing to, um, who believes that humanitarian aid and those sorts of mm-hmm. things are important. Because I think that making those arguments um, is going to become increasingly difficult um, in this presidency because he keeps wanting to know what the bottom line will be for the, for the U.S. So I think that that opens up an opportunity for African governments to engage with the United States on economic fundamentals, um, on business grounds, um, and really in trying to find the mutual benefit in business relations um, between the two countries. But I, having said that, I think that we mustn't underestimate the, the, the pull of the security interests mm-hmm. that the U.S. has um, in Africa. Uh, we know that there is AFRICOM, which is the U.S.'s um, military um, command um, in in Africa. We know that the U.S. under Obama initially started under George Bush, but uh, really developed under the Obama presidency, was really extending its security, its military footprint um, in Africa in order to stem the tide of terrorism. So, um, you know, putting up military bases um, in in countries uh, on both the west and the east coast of the continent uh, in order to stem the the tide of terrorism in Nigeria, um, in in, in Somalia with al-Shabaab, and also uh, trying to prevent, in recent times, the spread of, Mm. of, of ISIS 
um, into into North Africa uh, and the Sahel, and then even further down into Sub-Saharan Africa. And so I think that that strategic importance of, of Africa is not going to um, be reduced at all in 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 the Trump presidency, and I think that the engagement with the continent on those kinds of military and defense issues is going to continue. Mm. Um, and so I think that the onus, the mandate really for for African governments in relation to that is to then link a whole lot of those security discussions to real economic and business discussions mm-hmm. rather than just linking the security issues to aid. Well, I have to take uh, one more break and then we'll come back with our final 10 minutes of our program. And uh, today we're looking at Donald Trump and his foreign policy, getting great, great commentary from both our guests. It's Professor Stanfield who's joining us on the line as well as uh, Stembi Limbete. Time right now is 11.35. Let's see a quick break. We'll be back. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Definitely, that's who we are, giving you the African perspective, uh, Channel Africa. Well, let's uh, try to wrap up this conversation in, in some way because we've covered a lot, but there's still not as much as we would have loved to cover. But, John, uh, uh, in, in terms of looking at uh, uh, the atmosphere that we find ourselves in, the geopolitics of the world, we know that uh, uh, Britain is finally going ahead with the Brexit. We know that there's a domineering stance that we're seeing now taken by the United States states and also the rise of this leftist politics that we're seeing in various uh, European countries such as France Uh, and what does this uh, kind of atmosphere take us in the world where do we find ourselves and analyzing these different dynamics uh, when we see the projections into this 2017 which has been a handful already it's not even July yet but so much has happened yes well um, certainly what this indicates more than anything else is just how much we're in a paradigm shift um, about international affairs, some of which we, we really don't know what it is. We don't even have a language for it. Um, but, you know, so many of our ideas about international relations comes out of, the, comes out of World War II, in fact, even out of World War I. I mean, very, very much obsolete ideas, uh, you know, even the world – word international is, is quite obsolete. Uh, and so, uh, because you have so many people who are in stateless mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the fact is, 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 is that what we're seeing 
is the crystallization of what that means in regards to uh, BRICS emerging, mm-hmm. um, the, in some respects, the decline of America, decline of Europe, mm-hmm. the emergence of, of China as a global power. And by the way, we didn't mention mm-hmm. that issue about um, the sticky issue of American um, African affairs relations in terms mm-hmm. of China, mm-hmm. okay, being um, so present um, on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it means that um, it's a very, not only a very, very messy world, it's a very unknown world in mm-hmm. which we are beginning to see realignments that we need to start uh, paying attention to uh, rather than just pretending they're not there. Because otherwise, uh, we're going to find ourselves in situations uh, much more problematic than we can ever imagine. But I think that we do have some there's some very astute, very innovative people these days in global affairs who are really beginning to work. And in fact, uh, uh, that is also something you see mm-hmm. in the Trump White House. I mean, you talk about somebody like McMaster mm-hmm. as a director of, of, of the Security Council and uh, May says, watch what these people do mm-hmm. over the next um, couple of years, you know, because they are really right on target in regards to being innovators in world affairs. Uh, they know how to mix issues of, of, of the military and peace um, in ways that we've never seen before. Mm. Sambila, your thoughts on, on where we are in the world? Um, I agree completely with Chris, and I, like, and I like the way that he puts it about us not even having really a language yet to mm. describe this new world order that we're in now. What we know definitely with the election of Donald Trump and with the, uh, election, and with the Brexit um, election in the UK was that um, it really spelled the end of the liberal world order that that defined the way in which we thought about security, about the economy, um, and, and many other issues after the Second World War, and a world order that was whose whose intellectual leadership, and then whose also um, military um, and, and, and economic power, was really held by by the West, primarily by the United States, but then also the UK, France, Germany, etc. And what we're seeing is a real shift in global power um, from the West to to the East, so to China, to India. I think we don't talk enough about India and how it is really mm. emerging both as an economic power but mm. also um, as a military one and, mm. and as being really important to the security um, of, of its neighborhood. And so I think that in that context, we are all trying to figure out what all of these changes mean for different countries, but also how the, how different states and then citizens really interact with each other. Because as the professor says, there are so many stateless people that um, and, and the risk of people uh, losing their, their state, whether it's due to, to security issues, as we've seen uh, with uh, Syria, Yemen, Libya, um, and all of these refugees who are trying to to, to find safety and find refuge elsewhere. But, you know, we're going to enter a place with climate change in the next um, few decades where there's going to be an increasing number of sort of climate change mm-hmm. refugees mm-hmm. of people whose way of life is being affected um, by the environmental changes that we're seeing in the world. And so I think that in 
that, and I think that we are, you know, it's a process that's been taking place for quite a, 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 a few years, mm. um, that, you know, this year we're seeing uh, it playing out quite acutely in different ways. So this um, recent um, election referendum in Turkey mm. uh, that has really given uh, the president uh, uh, in a huge range mm. of powers mm. um, and really has overturned the political consensus in Turkey that has existed for the last hundred years mm. um, and will have widespread effects not only on the country itself but on on its chances of joining the European Union mm. and also on the Middle East um, and, and the situation and the security issues that are going on there. In terms of what we're seeing with the European elections, so, you know, what we saw in in the Dutch election was that the scare that everybody had that it would be won um, by the far right uh, and that the far right would be able to take over um, governance in the Netherlands in a similar way to what seemed to have happened in the United States with people like Steve Bannon taking on such high positions of mm. power. It didn't, that, that didn't eventually happen in, in, in the Netherlands. What we're seeing in France is that there is still a great threat for, of Marie Le Pen and making it through to the second round um, of the French presidential elections. She's now neck and neck with uh, Emmanuel Macron, mm. who's a far more centrist, um, and a pro-Europe um, kind of person. But we're seeing also that there's been this um, person who's coming from the left, uh, from the far left, mm. uh, in the role of, of Melanchon, which, you know, adds a completely different um, flavor and a different tenure to what mm. is happening in, in, in Europe. So I think that that election will be an important one to watch in terms of where really is the balance of power um, tilting in, in Europe, firstly, mm. but also secondly, it'll give us some sense of what the future of the European Union holds. Uh, so what we saw in the Netherlands is that the Dutch eventually didn't vote for somebody who wanted to pull um, Holland out of the mm, European mm. Union. Uh, we'll see how the French vote, because Marie Le Pen is very insistent that she wants to destroy the European Union. Mm. We'll see whether the, the French um, you know, vote in that way, and then we'll see how the Germans vote later mm, on mm. in the year. Well, we... Um, and so... So we have to yeah, wrap so it up. In terms of so, all of these changes mm, in global politics, mm, I think that you know we're going to see a lot be revealed in the course of the year. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be speaking to both of you. This has been a very illuminating conversation. Thank you to Stembi Limbeto, who's the lecturer at the Department of Political Sciences at the University of Pretoria. Thank you as well to Professor John H. Stanfield II, who is a distinguished research fellow in democracy, governments, uh, governance rather, and the service delivery program of the Human Sciences Research Council. Thank you both for giving us your time. I searched and searched for you guys yesterday almost until 7 p.m. And uh, just speaking to you has been great fruits for this discussion. So thank you both for participating. Well, it's a pleasure meeting both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a fantastic conversation. What are your thoughts? Give us your thoughts on our social media. And also you can find us on our email address, infochannelafrica.org or SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five. And hey, we are proudly African, so we'll play African music indeed. Until next time, God bless.